This week, we give a bunch of updates on what we're working on and end with a long, rambly, inconclusive discussion about the recent Basecamp drama. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up, Tyler? Not a whole lot. Um, what? I love just like screaming at you to yeah. open the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and it watching is a your reaction. I'm never, your... never ready for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a whole lot. I wanted to just uh, before I forget about it. Do you? Um, we all get cold emails all the time, right? Like annoying uh, ones. Do you ever like? Res- do they ever work on you at all? <sighs> This one this week almost worked because it was so well written. And I, the, what I did was I exercised the end of week rule that I created for myself, which is I snooze it until Friday afternoon. And if the person follows up with me again before Friday, then I don't reply. <laughs> I love it. Cause and, it's spam at that point, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, so, and, and, and I have not made it to Friday yet since I implementing this. Rule. Gotcha. Cool. Um, I like as a rule, don't let cold email work. Basically, I think maybe once it ever has, but I saw, I got two of the same type this week. I guess this is like a new trend that I thought was kind of clever, which is someone emailed me and they were like, we just worked with your competitor. In this case, it was copper, which is a different CRM. And they're like, here's what we did for them. Don't you want to like the subject of the email was keeping up with copper, uh, which isn't going to work on me. Like I, I have a very negative reaction to that, but I could see that being a pretty effective approach. It it preys on fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. And it's oh. it's kind of like an interesting form of social proof where it's like, yeah, you could be lying, but it's if it worked for copper and they're like a bigger, you know, competitor of ours, like it must be good enough for us. Well, and there's also this curiosity too. It's like, what's copper doing? Do, am I doing it too? And should I do? I, is there something I don't understand here? It, 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 it's enough to get someone curious, sufficiently curious to get on the call. Well, or, yeah, or even just read it. Like, I didn't get on the call with them, but I did read, like, what mm. feature did you... Because it's one of the... It's like an, uh, a tool that, rather than building this feature yourself, use our tool and you'll get the feature handled for you. And I was like, I wonder what feature it is that Copper just added. So I definitely read the email. Anyway, I thought that was kind of clever. It sounds like you got value out of the email. I honestly couldn't even tell you right now. I read it and immediately was like, oh, that doesn't apply to us. I, I don't even remember what it was. But I read the email, which I normally don't even read yeah, them. So yeah. it kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of these this week. And my my snooze till Friday rule saved me from having to reply. Because I would have replied to one that was pretty thoughtful. So like they research you and all that. Because all the ones I get that are, they look researched. They're like, hello, Tyler King. I appreciate that you're the CEO of Less Annoying CRM. I like your podcast, Startup to Lap, but like they don't go into any depth, you know? This one was like, uh, you know, I noticed that you wrestled, um, mm. you know, got into some personal stuff and some commonality. Um, and I would like, it's complete distraction for what I'm doing. And there's mm-hmm. like an indication that he really didn't go past LinkedIn to understand that I'm not a fit for his product, but it seemed like a good guy to know. You know, it was like, this guy's trying. And then he followed up with me before Friday. So missed out. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, cool. What's up with you? Well, uh, I added a second paint. So I've had two beta customers. One I didn't have billing information for. So now I have two paying customers at Legup Benefits because that has been solved, which doubled my Legup Benefits revenue. And um, I may add a third customer. Nice. Um, and maybe even a fourth, uh, in May. Very cool. So you, you had one paying one non-paying and basically the non-paying one who was already using it has paid now. Yep. Cool. How, where these, where's these other two come from? Like, have they been in the pipeline for a while? All from my original outreach. Like remember last year, about mid year, I was doing outreach to try to grow leg up health. It's mm-hmm. all of my, like, it's all like, like sort of people, remembering our conversations and getting to a point where they're in a, a, a buying journey again. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So that feels good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead here, but it looks like uh, that's next up on your list to work on. Yeah. So maybe I can walk through 
so yeah, I am wrapping up a big push on like a health content this week. One thing I want to talk about before I, well, on the content side, I'm, I got my 99, my AHF score to 99, um, which is like as high as it can get. That's awesome. um, so I'm going to be done with that for now. Um, I also took a minute to organize one really quick thing to do when you're doing SEO is to go get inbound links from third-party sites that you control the company listing for. So Facebook, you know, Twitter, the social sites, LinkedIn, those are the obvious ones. But then there's these like second or like second degree or second order of of websites like Crunchbase, Indie Hackers, like our startup to last website. There's all these other websites that you have you can control and get a you know kind of seed you, you know, a link back to your brand and help Google sort of go, okay, like this seems like a real company. Um, I'm not sure how much it actually does, but I took some time uh, with leg up health before closing this project just to go through and organize the sites, which I already had a link back for, and then go ahead and, you know, knock down a 10 more um, mm-hmm. that I didn't have site, you know, links back from. Gotcha. Yeah. My, my impression. So for anyone who hasn't done SEO, there's like do follow and don't follow links. So when a website links to another, they can say, don't follow this, meaning like I'm not endorsing this site. I would guess that like Facebook and indie hackers are don't follow. I don't know that for sure. But like the website you control, like if when we linked from the startup to last website, we control that. That's definitely a do follow link. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I question what, you know, how much Google relies on do follow, don't follow. Um, I feel like it's more comp- way more complicated than that, but I feel like it's substantially better to have 20 inbound links from highly reputable companies, do follow or don't follow, than no links at all. Yeah, it's um, really When can't you're first hurt. starting. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, anyway, I did that real quick win. And then um, I, uh, you know, when I publish everything tomorrow, I've got 13 more articles to publish. I will have published 35 new pieces of content this month. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, updated a ton of existing content to link to that. So talk about this content, because like if these are 35 substantial blog posts, you just had like the greatest content writing month in the history of the world. Like wh- <laughs> what was your secret here? Writing what I know. OK, but these are like original because I was I saw 30. I saw your notes here. I saw 35 and I was like, did he just like make a template and pl- like Here's in this zip code, here's in that zip code, that type of thing. No, this was, um, so I want to distinguish between programmable content and then like creative content. This is mm-hmm. what I would call creative nonfiction content, meaning I wrote everything from scratch. Um, what, you know, with Webflow, what's really cool about it though is you can do programmable content where you basically f- cut, you identify some data sources and then programmatically link those data sources together to create some original content. I did not do that for these. These are unique original blog posts. Wow. That's but they're a hell all about month. Yeah, but they're all about health insurance. And so um and and they're more they're 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 they border between kind of guides on how to like understand a technicality within the health insurance space or a help article-ish type thing. Like, how do I do this? Cool. Or what is this? So I feel good about it. I'm ready to move on. I am exhausted from it. And uh but I feel good. I feel it's I feel like I'm gonna leave it in a good good place. Yeah, I'd love to hear some updates in the future on like when do those start generating SEO and how much, or I'm misusing the term SEO, but like search traffic and how much, because I think there's this challenge with content marketing where you write it and it's like, is it months? Is it years before it starts to really work? Yeah. And my goal with this content was secondary, like SEO was a secondary driver. Mm. My primary driver is to sort of build the knowledge base so that, um, so that I can walk above a layer above in health insurance, no one wants to understand everything, but leg up health has to understand everything. Right. And so we have to sort of have this library of knowledge that we only show to people that need to know it. Mm-hmm. And so um, my main goal with this was to like write all the really crappy stuff that you don't want to write. So for example, let me give you an example of one of these articles. <laughs> it's how does cost, the, how do the cost sharing reduction um, subsidies work on the marketplace? You probably have never heard of cost sharing reductions. I don't ever talk about it. You don't need to know about it. But some percentage of our clients do need to know about it. And what the cost sharing reductions do is for people who qualify for a premium tax credit, but don't make more than like 
of the federal poverty level, which is basically they don't make more than 60K for a family of four, meaning they're lower middle income, um, then they qualify for what these special plans. Um, so they're actually, when you go into the marketplace, you won't know this if you're just looking, um, but there's a, there are a bunch of silver plans from every insurance company that's available in your state. In Utah, there's six. Um, each silver plan, that insurance company has at least four versions of that silver plan, but they only show you the version that you are eligible for based on your income. So if you aren't eligible for these cost sharing reduction plans, you see this, what's called the standard silver plan. Um, but if you qualified for these cost sharing reductions, they show you one of three versions of that silver plan that basically have lower copays, co uh, insurance, and out of pocket maximums. Basically, better you know, better coverage. Yeah. And if you qualify for the biggest version of this, it's actually the silver plan becomes better than the platinum plan. Hmm. And you could easily not realize that this was happening if you were going through the marketplace. And and anyway, um, that is one article I wrote. And there is no other like good consumer piece of content on that subject. So that's awesome. But can I tell you the thing that stresses me out about this type of content is I assume it's changing all the time. And like as your library grows, have you thought about how you maintain this stuff? Yes. And it's, I'm so glad you asked that because it's something that I was worried about for a while. And then I just realized, oh, no, no, this is just part of our business. Sort of like, um, I don't know. I don't know what a good analogy is, but this is a health insurance changes at least annually. There are new plans every year. So there's mm. going to be this, and then you know the other factor is tax code updates. So there are certain regula regulated things that get updated every year by the federal government, like what's the maximum contribution limit for a uh, an IRA, what's the you know maximum yeah. limit for a 401k. Those same things apply to aspects of healthcare. So basically, there's going to be this time during the year where we're taking all of our templates and we're going through and updating the numbers based on the new year. And that's just part of our business. That's part of your moat. Like that's what yep. makes it hard to compete with you. That makes yep. sense. And so we need to, you know, we need to build systems that make it easy to update those pieces um, that are variable um, within the, the stuff that doesn't change. Yeah, that's key. Because like you're basically a service business right now and you're you're becoming a productized service. And so like the successful version of your business is that you systematize this stuff and the unsuccessful version is like, Rick or someone like Rick has to go in and just manually update. I mean, maybe there's some manual element to this, but like it's not very efficient and it's or, just a ton of work. Or worse, what other people do is they either let the content rot yeah. and, and have yeah. bad information out there or they don't write the content in the first place. Right. They, they take sense. it down. So um, cool. I, uh, I, I look at it as something that's like, just like we have to update our database of plans every year, we're going to have to update the charts that and the and any any regs that change as they change great sounds good yeah i'm done with that so um and then uh yeah so what that means for me is that i am going to be focusing on like at benefits starting next week and uh it's scary and exciting but the cool thing about i don't if you were listening when i was talking about like at benefits before i went on paternity I was trying to like crunch a bunch of work for Legate Benefits into like a two week, one week sprint and kind of offsite. What I'm doing with this focus is I'm giving myself six weeks to focus exclusively on Legate Benefits outside of serving Legate Health, you know, day to day customers um, and clients. And uh, and that I think that'll give me enough time to explore what I need to explore to make the decisions I need to make along the lines that we talked about. So okay, my so, my, yeah, my big yeah. deliverable for six weeks is. Um, one, uh, build the, the one of the app uh, that manages the Legate Benefit Solution, and then two, the marketing website that sort of helps me convert a customer into a paying customer, a, a potential customer into a paying customer. So last time we talked about this, the challenge, it's not necessarily that building the app is hard, it's that you didn't know what technology, like what no-code, low-code stack to use. So is that still the case? You're, you're going into this kind of blind as to like what the stack will be? Correct. Um, I have a bias towards sticking with member stack um, based on my research that I did before I went on paternity, but I am not, I'm not making that decision yet. Yeah. I've thought about it more since our conversation on it. And like, it sounded at the time, like you could kind of hack together something with member stack. It wouldn't be quite right because you want this, like there's a company account and then individual user accounts and it would, member stack isn't really built for that, but you thought you could hack it together. 
to me, that sounds fine. Like y- you don't have any competition here, right? No, nope. And it's and the and the V one is so minimum, like in terms of what it needs to do. That if as long as I believe that member stack is going to evolve into what. I need long term, which I do, then I should be okay with it. But if there's a quicker path to V1, I, I, I want to, I'll probably take that route. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, it kind of feels like, um, so for less knowing CRM, our user experience is super important, but most of our competitors, it's not. Like for Salesforce, it doesn't matter what the UX is like because the person buying Salesforce is not buying it because they want to use it and enjoy it. They're buying it because like it gives them the report they need or whatever. Um, and I feel like that's the case for you. Like no one who's making a decision here is making that decision based on the UX. Nope. Nope. Cool. Um, all right. So that's it. So I'll, I'll have leg up benefits updates starting next week. Awesome. If we have more time today, you want to maybe dive into that more or are you not really ready to talk more about it? Uh, not at all. I just, okay. <laughs> I, 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 that's, I still yeah, got some content on. to publish. <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds good. But yeah, what, what, well, I've got another update, but it's, it's unrelated to what we just talked about. So tell me what's going on in your world. Sure. I got a lot of random updates here. So I've been talking for a long time about this big enterprise deal. At, once, at one point, there were two of them and one of them fell off. We have signed the contract. They tell us the checks in the mail, so may- maybe I should have saved this for next week so that I could actually be like, the check I actually got here. But in theory, there is a $45,000 check headed my way, so uh, I think it's pretty close to a done deal here. Are you going to frame it? Uh, I'm probably going to deposit it, I think, is my plan. <laughs> can, you, can you deposit it and frame it? I don't know. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to see. No, I probably am not that type of person, but uh, it is the biggest. I think 10000 was previously our biggest check, so this is like quite a bit bigger than any payment we've ever I, I honestly don't even know how to deposit a check anymore that's like i think this is too big to use Your the mobile phone. deposit yeah. so i'm gonna have to like remember how banks work <laughs> you basically just walk in and say may i deposit this don't you have Pretty to like smart. know an account number and stuff they'll, they'll look it all up for you if, uh, at nice. that number at that number they'll yeah. <laughs> they'll take care of it uh, okay that's good um so yeah that impacts a few things i mean first of all there's the money which Honestly, it's it's very nice, but like I don't think it radically changes anything for us. But uh, we they they are paying us fifty thousand dollars to build some custom features and stuff. So as of this week, we've kind of started shifting around our product roadmap to accommodate that. Um, overall, I'm really excited about it because like everything they asked for is stuff that you'd expect a, a bigger account to want, and so I'm just kind of like. This probably the fact that they're willing to pay for it probably means we should have been doing this stuff anyway. Do you think that some of your just to be clear, you said custom features. I think mm-hmm. you mean features that you're building for them that will also be available to your client base. Yes, good clarification. Yeah, this is all stuff we had on our roadmap anyway, but it was like maybe we'll do it one day versus we're going to do it now. It's the type of thing where so I'll just give you one example. We have a lot of places in our app where there's like a list of users. So for example, if you're creating an event. You can be like, which users are attending this event? And if you only have 10 users, or you know, our average customer is 2.3 users, it's fine. You just pick from the list of 10. When you have 500 users, it's like, I don't really want to scroll to find this. So we have to add like a little search bar. Super minor. It's the type of thing that doesn't impact enough of our customers to have cared about in the past, but it'll be a nice piece of polish for when bigger accounts come in the future. Yeah, and, and some of your accounts will notice it and go, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's two really big ones that I think will like, the, the one I just said is obviously super minor, but one is people ask us all the time to block their users from deleting data from the CRM. And we're always just kind of like, no, like trust your employees basically, which I don't know. I'm lukewarm on that answer, but we're, we're building that, which people are going to love, whether it's actually a good thing to have or not. And the other one is like pipeline permissions. So you can have a pipeline like sales leads or recruits or whatever. Um, Right now, everyone can't necessarily see all of the people in the pipeline, but they can see that the pipeline exists. And so we're making it so that you could have like something that only the HR team gets to see or something else that only customer service can see. A lot of user, it sounds like a lot of user permission type stuff. Yep. And visibility. Um, Right. So I think those two in particular will, any account with 10 plus users will really find that valuable. So I'm excited. Cool. Well, I feel like uh, it's like another step forward, and then but when you actually get the check, we'll, we'll actually celebrate. Yeah, how funny would it be if they they're just lying 
and I have to come back next week. Like, so it turns out the deal fell through. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way that's going to happen at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's next? Uh, so that was the good news. The bad news, I've, I've been talking about this um, potential kind of design candidate that I've been talking to. And uh, unfortunately, that ended up not working out um, for kind of like reasons that bum me out. Like basically, we did a freelance project just to kind of see what it's like working together. And I think it went pretty well. And then she was just like, I learned from this project that I don't want to work at a company that only has one product. Ooh. She wants she wants to like consult or, you know, do something where she can like work on lots of different stuff. Uh, so it was like a really good experience, I think, for both sides. Maybe she's lying to me, but um, she was just like, I learned something about myself and I'm no longer interested in this type of company. Boy, that's such a great thing, though. I mean, it's a lot better than if she came worked here and then found that yes. out. <laughs> yes. Um, but that frees up now. We can go try to hire a developer. So that's next up on the list is to go start that search. Are you, you going to be aggressive about it or continue with the farming uh, continue with the farming, but I'm going to, my plan right now is to, to kind of go on LinkedIn and just find a handful of people that look like the type of person we're looking for and just reach out to them. Cause we've never hired an experienced person before. So I just kind of want to dip my toe in the water, but I'm not, we're not posting job listings and all, all that type of stuff. How is this so. different than the spam we talked about earlier in the episode when you're reaching out to these people? Well, I'm paying to spam them legitimately through LinkedIn. okay (laughs) i'm using in messages (laughs) uh no i'm only gonna i'm only gonna send one for starters and yeah it is interesting we did this with crm coaches before which is different because it's a customer service job i don't think customer service people tend to get a lot of recruiter outreach on linkedin and so we got a pretty high response rate now that i'm doing it with developers i expect it to not go as well i feel like if you're doing it as the ceo of a company it's different than a recruiter reaching out. Um, and so maybe you'll have a, a better, I'd be interested to see if you get any negative feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, one interesting thing, I'm only reaching out to people in St. Louis. And as I look through, pe- I, like there's different ways to browse lists of people in LinkedIn. I'm just like, man, the list of companies that software engineers work at in St. Louis is depressing. Like mm. there's no... No major tech company has an office here except sort of Square, but I don't think they actually employ developers. I think it's more like customer service and sales. Um, but like, if you go to Indianapolis, there's a bunch of people who work at Salesforce in that city. I, Salt Lake has a ton of good tech companies. St. Louis, it's like people work at Boeing, Monsanto, Anheuser-Busch. So I'm hoping that it's not as competitive here as it would be in other cities. And you're looking for an experienced developer. You don't want to do the college graduate. Right. So I hadn't really pieced this together prior to this, but what happened is one of our former developers left and I felt more inclined to get, I don't care how experienced, even if they're just like six months into their career, that's probably fine. But the way I'm thinking about it now is if we're replacing someone that was previously productive, I want them to be productive soon. If we're like expanding the team, I'm probably more willing to be patient on that. Mm. I'm not saying don't hold me to that strictly, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. I hear you. So, um, yeah, there's that. I mentioned last week I was in the middle of uh, doing a bunch of one-on-ones with everybody on the team. So I'm done with all of those. Any any takeaways? Um I mean, there were like random things that people said, not nothing too interesting, but one thing that stood out to me. I'm going to say this, but I, I want to talk about Basecamp later in this episode because, you know, they've got this whole drama going on, which we'll talk about. But I think this is going to tie to that. Okay, so something, a bunch of people came into the meetings, I wouldn't say mad, but like perturbed about something that was, they left the meetings not at all upset about even remotely. And this to me kind of highlighted the value of communication and how being really thoughtful about how you communicate information to people matters. So let me tell the story here. Basically, we are going back to the office in late May. We took this as an opportunity to make some changes. And one of the changes is before we had, everyone had their main desk in the open office. And then we had a bunch of private offices that were kind of first come first serve. We're flipping that. So we're saying your main desk, everybody has a dedicated their own private office. And then we're going to have the open office as like a first come first serve, go sit wherever you want type of thing. 
And there are like good reasons for this and stuff. What happened is the guy who's setting up the office sent a survey out to everybody being like, if we do this, what private office do you want? And like random questions like that. But we had not yet told anyone that this was happening. And everybody, maybe not everybody, but almost everybody was like, fuck no, I don't like this. They just like uh, humans make up the worst version of why something might be happening if you don't tell them. So a bunch of people came into the meeting like, what's going on? I'm worried I'm going to hate the office environment and all that. And as soon as I told them the reasoning, they were like every single person except one was like, oh, that's great. Like, absolutely. Let's do that. And they all left happy. So anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but I just it took away from it, like being thoughtful and explaining stuff to people just makes so much of a difference. Oh, yeah, totally. And you'll learn this so many, you learn this so many different times and so many yeah. different places too. It's not just at the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to kind of over communicate, which I think sometimes, I don't want to say like annoys people, but it makes them think I'm a nerd. Basically, they're like, what is up with this guy? Why did he just write a 5,000 word essay on like some minor thing? But it's so much better to over communicate than under. Oh, totally. Totally. Also, and, transparency. Yeah, and over communication can mean multiple things. Like it can mean a long explanation, but it it can also mean multiple communications of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, and on that topic, so everyone's getting a private office. One of the things I was really nervous about with this was there's kind of like status. The thing I liked about everyone having their uh, their desk in the open office is like we're all in the same room. We all have access to the same windows and all that. But the private offices, like half of them have windows and half of them don't. And some are bigger than others. And I was really worried about that. And again, communication saved the day. Every single person is thrilled with the office they're getting. And I just talked, rather than sending out an email blast, I talked with everyone one-on-one and there was just like a ton of, it took like a full day of communication. But I was like, well, if we gave you a little bit more budget to get your more better equipment, would you take a room without a window and like just kind of talking with everybody and everybody's happy with what they got. But this is the type of thing where I could have just like randomized it, which is quote unquote fair. And a ton of people would have resented it. Yep. So well, anyway, I mean, I'm wh- feeling good. Good. Yeah. And yeah, that's great. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. And then just to keep, I'll wrap up here with just saying, I know you've been pressured. No, I shouldn't say pressure. That sounds negative. You've been, uh, encouraging me to write customer service blog posts. I have been pressuring you. You've been pressuring me. Uh, yeah, I tried to start way. it this week. I I'm struggling. Ah, oh. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push once I get going. I think it'll be fine. But I, I don't have any insight here. Just like I'm trying and I'm hitting a wall trying to write this content. What does that mean? You think? Probably nothing. Uh, I just think sometimes you're in a mood for one thing and sometimes you're in a mood for another and like. I just haven't built up the muscle memory. Like I know how to write a technical tutorial. I've done a bunch of them. I know how to write random business musings. I have never really written a blog post on customer service. So I'm trying to kind of find my voice there. Mm. Yeah. You've never really written about it. Yeah. I don't think so. So you really are starting from scratch here from, on a writing basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think I, I realized that today. And I think what I'm going to do is give myself like a really easy first post So one thing I was thinking about is just like, here's how to write an apology if something goes wrong. And I've literally already sent enough of these. I think I'm just going to be like, here's three that I've sent, (laughs) you know? That's that's one way to do it. One thing you might consider. So uh, a listener last week uh, heard our conversation about Rome and note taking and uh, us being unclear on exactly why this is such a special thing. And uh, a book was recommended. It happened to be a book that was recommended by the same guy I met with that told me about Readwise. And so I'm reading this book and it's something about note-taking. I cannot, the, the title is so freaking long. I can't remember it, um, but smart note-taking or something like that. And one of the ideas that comes from the book, and I heard, uh, do you know who uh, Dave, Dave Perel, David Perel is? He's a, he's yeah. calls himself the writing guy on Twitter. Yeah. And real quick, sorry, I looked it up. How to take smart notes yeah, is the yeah. name of the book. But then it's like, there's a one whole, simple like, technique to boost writing, learning and thinking <laughs> for students, <laughs> academics and nonfiction book writers. <laughs> That's the title. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, and it's dense. And I would say that the, the the main point though is a, it, it, of the note taking, and then also David Perel makes this point on a recent Indie Hackers podcast, um, and it's that you don't start writing to publish until mm. you've already got eighty percent of the content. 
Okay. If you're writing a book, maybe. I would say this applies to any piece of content. And I think the things that flow are the things that you've already got 80% done, whether it's in your head or even like in research or somewhere. And you're just like pulling it. You're just like reorganizing it and, and sort of painting, like painting, curating it almost. Um, and then adding the, the missing 20%. Um, where you're staring at a blank page, it's like maybe it's a sign that you you need to go uh, explore and uh, sort of rejuvenate your, um, in your case, customer service um, uh, you know, thought process. I think you're right. But my, my piece of pushback here is going to be, I have like 15 topics. Like I came up with a bunch of topics and it's not exactly a blank page. It's like, here's the topic. I know what the insight is. I'm struggling to write it, but I think if, tell me if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly. I thought about spending some time mapping out what like a book might be, even if I never write a book. And then I was like, that's too ambitious. Like just start writing, get something out there. But you're saying maybe it's not, uh, maybe, maybe you would start with kind of a, a table of contents basically. Yeah. I, I would say I, I might explore how big this topic is at the macro level and at the, and, and go down micro. And it sounds like you've done that to a degree. And I would do that until you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. Right. I have, I am unblocked. Yeah. The downside to this is it's a huge time commitment to get one blog post written. And I, if you get blocked that like the, the opposite advice is often given by me and by you, I think where it's like you you're taking on this six month project. You could do something valuable in one day, like get out of your own way and do it. So I think it might be a good way to get unblocked, but I'm not going to go so far as to say I like this as a general approach to how you should do a project. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between I am progressing on something I know I should do and it's something I need. I know what I need to do and I am not sure what to do. I don't have a lot of conviction around what to write. That's a sign. I think that's a sign that it's like step back, go, go Mm -hmm. explore and, 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 and once you explore and start narrowing in on some stuff, you'll know when you're ready to to go back to work. Yeah. Okay. So what I think I'm probably going to do is I have, this is the latest in a week I've gone without having my, I, I want to write at least one blog post a week. I haven't written it yet this week. Um, I have like three in the hopper that I wrote on this sub stack back in the day that no one ever saw. So I'm just going to like use that for this week and then give myself a little bit of time to kind of do this high level thinking. That's a perfect example of 80% content like you're 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 saying oh i've written i've got 80 percent of this art blog post this blog post done because i wrote it oh it's 100 percent done i'm just republishing it but you're, gonna yeah. it, you're not going to curate it at all i mean i'll read through it but i it's honestly not that old it's like oh, okay. a year or two old but i just it was on a sub stack that has like cool. my dad as a subscriber <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect so yeah i mean in that case it's 100 percent done but um yeah i think yeah i think I think you'd benefit from exploration. And if that doesn't do it, then there's a bigger problem. Yep. All right. Well, I'll give that a shot and keep you updated. So back to you. You said you had another update here. Yeah. Well, I just I want to share um, this month has been an interesting month in that there's I, I, I may lose two to three leg up health clients. Um, I've already definitely lost two and maybe a third. Uh, uh, and bo- all of them were due to um, one was due to a job change that came with health insurance. And the other two were changes by the companies to start offering health insurance mm. uh, that they work for. So they didn't have a job change, but their their employer made a benefit change. And so it just it's hammering home just how much my business is going to be driven by the employers, the employment of my clients. And it makes me so happy that I'm focusing on the good benefits. That makes sense. Yeah, because you had what, one or two people churn before this? I'm in one, maybe two, a quarter. And so this was a, usually this is what happens over the course of a couple months and it happened all at once. Yeah. But, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if it continues. Out of how uh, many clients? 40. 40. So yeah, I mean, small numbers. So I, I don't want to like turn that into a churn rate, but it's, it's, I would have thought this business would have close to zero churn, but I guess people are changing jobs all the time. That makes sense. Yep. So uh, I mean, if you think about the lifetime of a job now, it's two years or something. Yeah, one one and a half to two years. And I think what what's interesting is there are certain. Um, I think what I'm going to find is that there are certain industries that are super sticky, 
uh, long average tenure. And then there's some industries that aren't startups, I think are one where it's like this guy, if this, if this client is a startup employee, that's probably not great. Yeah, um, they'll go if, to Google or wherever mm-hmm. and get healthcare there. But real estate, for example, I could see my real estate clients being with me 10 plus years. Yeah. Cause they're trying to be in a business that doesn't have health insurance versus like, I accidentally, unfortunately, don't get it from my employer. Yep. What's cool about leg up benefits, just to sort of close that point, is that if I have leg up benefits, when I lose a leg up health client who is also a leg up health benefits user, um, that user gets replaced by a new hire. So there's like this, um, it, it sort of de-risks the churn a little bit on the health insurance agency side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I still, uh, I, I think there's a strong argument to be made that like focusing on growing leg up health is kind of the optimal thing to do right now. But like, if I were running a business, leg up benefits sounds like a much more like a B2B SaaS, which is what I want to be doing than this kind of consumer health insurance play. You can't do leg up benefits without leg up health, but you can absolutely do leg up health with out like at benefits. And if, if we think about like, why am I, why am I interested in this space? It's definitely the B2B to B to C opportunities. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that flywheel that we could, could create. Um, so, uh, that, and that was a key crit, you know, if I go back to like my drawing board of like, what business do I want to start? That was a key checkbox is ability to build a, um, a flywheel. Um, gotcha. I don't think leg up health has it. I think that's what this is telling me. Hmm. By itself. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I want to do Face a quick... Camp. Sh- well, let me do a quick shout out here. You know my friend Steve. We were, uh, Steve. He was at my bachelor party. He solved my no-code problem that I was asking you. Uh, so the story here, we, we were in a meeting at work saying, how do we... We have a spreadsheet with data on each employee. How do we show each employee just their information and not the whole spreadsheet? I asked you a no-code way. You had some ideas, but it wasn't like 100% solved. Steve reached out, Steve was listening to the podcast and reached out and told me about an Excel function I didn't know about where you can just import data from one spreadsheet to another. Probably everyone knows about this, ah, but I didn't. And so yeah, we just made a separate spreadsheet for each employee and it pulls from the, the main list. Anyway, it's very you've said this before, but it's so cool when you have a problem on the podcast. We don't get the answer, and then someone else reaches out and tells you so the answer. So cool. Yeah, so cool. Um, did, did Just real quick on the solution, did you use Excel or did you use Google Spreadsheets? I used Google Spreadsheets. Okay, yeah. cool. So basically, you share a Google Spreadsheet with each individual and have that individual spreadsheet get populated on some regular basis by a master spreadsheet. Yep. Yeah, cool. so the Google authentication is what provides the security here. It's perfect. Yep. Okay, so Basecamp. Um I imagine anyone listening probably knows the story here, but maybe let's just start with what happened. Do you want to give a summary or should I? Go ahead. So Basecamp is probably the most famous kind of bootstrapped SaaS company. Like they pretty much invented, not SaaS, like Salesforce did that, but the bootstrapped version of it. They're old. They have 58 employees, it turns out. Tons, I think people predict hundreds of millions in revenue. They're a very prominent company. They put out an announcement earlier this week announcing a bunch of different things. Um, the one that got the most discussion was that they, they're banning internal conversations about politics at work. And there's a bunch of other stuff, which I actually want to talk about too. But uh, then people people are like, what, what's the deal? What happened here? It turns out there was this like really heated kind of political discussion within work. And the founders were just like, no more of this. We're completely shutting it down. And it started this whole drama thing. Does that sum it up for you? Sure. So I don't know. I kind of get the impression you're not interested in talking about this. <laughs> I, I, am, I, I have a few thoughts, I guess. Well, but. Let me just tell you my reaction. My reaction. The re- only reason I commented on this mm-hmm. is I am so tired. I am so tired of the exaggeration that happens on Twitter of mm-hmm. like, okay, so they, they put out a lot of thought. They clearly thought about how they were going to announce this and wrote it out. And there's a theme to what they wrote, and the other bullets are relevant to that theme, which is work time is work time, personal time is personal time, and we are going to du- triple, quadruple, go hard on that. And here are some different ways we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they even 
followed it up with more explanation. They even acknowledged in the post that some people aren't going to like this. I love discussion and, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you about it. What I can't stand that happens on Twitter is people don't read the shit mm-hmm. and then they, 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 they talk about it with inaccuracies. They lie for lack of a better word. And they just make it this, um, I don't know, loud and inaccurate, uh, exaggeration, misrepresentation that I have a huge problem with it, Like, saying things like they're not letting employees talk about political uh, issues that are important to them. That's not what they did. So my, my main issue here was um, let's say what, let's talk about the fact here. And I, uh, I, I kind of feel bad for the guys. Like I felt they, they did something that was thoughtful. They made a really hard decision, um, which is much harder than making no decision at all, which is what most people do. And uh, I feel like the the reputational assault that they're under is um, is uh, just a little bit. I don't know. It, it left a bad taste in my mouth for, with, with how people are reacting. The mob mentality is getting to me, man. It's. Getting I, I to mean, me. there there's absolutely a mob mentality, but sometimes, maybe even most of the time, the mob's right. <laughs> like it's well, it's possible the, the, that people. No, no. What's what's true about with mobs is there, there's an ounce of truth to the. To the thing that lost the fire, but then it gets exaggerated to a, a you know a, a thing that it no longer becomes the truth anymore, and so okay. that's my, that's what I'm that's what I'm that's my that's the problem I have with how this is being discussed in, in the public. Um, I don't I haven't really thought about how whether I feel like they're what they decided was okay or not, but I yeah, understand so that's why what they I want to talk about. Yeah. I, I I I wouldn't say I 100 percent agree with you, but I agree with you enough. Like. There's commentary about the drama itself. I'm probably more interested in talking about the merit of the decision and like mm-hmm. what yeah. what I'm taking away from it. The thing I haven't seen talked about enough, and I I wanted to talk about this with you because you have in the past on this podcast talked about how like to you leadership is everything. Uh, this came up when we talked about racism after George Floyd was murdered and various political conversations around Donald Trump. That you've kind of said like to you, someone being a leader when they need to be is of the utmost importance. Am I characterizing you correctly? Yes. So what I took away from this post by Basecamp is that they're unwilling to lead the company. Um, and let me let me give my case for this. because I, And I should say, the reason I feel so strongly about this, even though I'm not behind the scenes, I have no personal information, is I have felt, I think, all the things they seem to be feeling that led them to these decisions it's stressful. It's hard running a company. I get every single impulse they had here. And a good leader works through that. Whereas I think they just opted out. They just said, nope, not, not leading anymore. So let's read through real quick like what the announcements were. The, the only one that anyone's talking about on Twitter is no more political discussions. And you said that is being misrepresented. I, I'll point out they edited the post afterwards. Originally, it did say no political discussions. They edited it to say on the company base com- uh, base camp account, but okay, I didn't know that. Um, I I didn't see it until it said on our company base camp account. Yeah, that that's someone like did a diff of what it started out as versus what it was after the outrage, and that's an edit they made. Anyway, not important. No more paternalistic benefits, which basically means like they'll still have the core benefits like health care and st- health insurance, but not like a fitness allowance. I actually agree with this one. Uh, they're they're paying money instead of the benefits. I, I love that personally. Um, moving on though, no more committees. They're not allowing anyone at the company to like self lead a project. They're basically saying, if you're a manager, manage, if you're an uh, employee, be, be managed. That's the end of it. That's how I interpret that. Do you want to push back on that? I don't know what is meant by that. Um, no more committees is another, I think I didn't interpret it that way. No, what you just said is different than no more committees. There are employees, uh, so I, I should say, I've read like every little piece of information that's come out here. Mm-hmm. There are a number of Basecamp employees who came out that were like, we had this committee and they just shut it down. And so we don't get to do that anymore. Um, don't, anyway. get to do, don't get to do what? Like, well, so like the example they give in the post is there was like a group of employees that wanted to help out with like DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Basecamp said, no, none of you get to work on it anymore. The head of HR is going to be responsible for that. It's um, not your job. It's what they're saying. Right. Which... I, I hate. Um, no more lingering or dwelling on past decisions. To me, this is the absolute worst one. 
they're basically saying once we explain something one time, you have to like you don't get to bring it up ever again. Is is how I'm interpreting this. Um, I get the instinct here. It's like, you know, that what, what's the phrase? Uh, disagree and commit, or something like that. Are you familiar with that? Disagree and commit. Yeah, I, I get the idea, but at the same time, like what I was saying earlier, communication is so important. Like if something is communicated poorly, you, you need to, the, the leaders need to step in and say, well, we need to get build consensus here. Uh, no more 300, 360 reviews, basically saying peers don't review each other anymore, only managers do. No forgetting what we do here. We make project management software and nothing else, basically. Uh, all of these, any of these individually, whatever, all of these put together to me sounds like there is no channel for employees to provide feedback to management anymore. That's how I interpret this collectively. What do you think about that thesis? Um, I just, I mean, I understand why you might react that way and you may be right. I don't know. Um, but that's, I mean, I, I bet there are some people, I would be willing to bet there's people at base camp that provided feedback that led to this, some of these changes. Workers. The employees, at least... Uh, S- some employees. Many employees have said that they heard... A, this was the announcement internally. They saw it on this blog the first time. Sure. The announcement internally, that's fine. But mm-hmm. these decisions get don't get made. There's one, there's, there, there's one take, which is this decision was made in a vacuum by the leaders of Basecamp. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's another take, which is they talked... They, they watched this happen for a while... They talked about it with a lot of people. They met with employees. They gathered feedback. They they looked at what you know the options are, and then they made a decision. And they're explaining it. And to their point, they're saying, "I'm going to explain it once. Get on board yeah. or get off." That doesn't and make it a, a correct decision, though. I'm not saying whether it's correct or wrong. I'm just saying that you said that the state that that, that the um this reeks of no place for employees to give feedback. What mm-hmm. if this is actually a decision supported by the majority of employees or the majority of employees that these guys want to stick, want to stick around? Um, yeah. and, and there is employee feedback here. Just because you don't have 360 degree reviews doesn't mean you can't sit down with your boss and say, here's what I think. Yeah, uh, you're right. And that's, that's one I find like least, I think 360 reviews are kind of stupid personally. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. like one of the less offensive ones to me. Uh, there, th- I mean, uh, Casey Newton, I think his name is, do you know who he is? The journalist. He like went into this and basically said, here's what happened. And it sounds like they did not collect feedback on this, but I, I hear what you're saying. They could have <laughs> in a different world. They could have, they didn't, but they could have. Um, do you, let's just jump fly up for a second. Yeah. Um, neither of us know what led to this. We oh, no, no, like- no. D- uh, Casey Newton wrote the article and then DHH confirmed it. It's okay. pretty much public. Okay, I haven't seen now. this article. Okay. So, so why don't you t- share what was in the article then that led up to this? Um, I, I think that we're making a lot of assumptions about the situation. I, I 100% and, and I making assumptions. Yeah. And, and I, I, sorry if I didn't say this well enough. This is kind of what I was trying to say, but like, I've felt this before is when I was reading this, my thought was, this was my lizard brain's first reaction every time there's conflict at Less Annoying CRM. And every time I paused, or sometimes I didn't, I've made mistakes. I don't act like I'm perfect. But every time I've wanted to make this decision, I have been a leader or tried to and said, you know what? I'm in a position of power here. I need to build consensus. I need to communicate better rather than I'm just going to shut this down. That, that, I am assuming that absolutely, but I felt so viscerally all of the things that would cause someone to do this. Yeah. And so I think like, okay, so what's interesting to me is the way I thought through this was, um, why did they do this? Yeah. So let me, can, can I tell the story that yeah. again has been yeah. basically confirmed? So apparently Basecamp previously had a list like from years ago. And the list was, it's a list of customers with quote unquote funny names. So I don't, some employee did this. It wasn't the founders, but some other employees started this list of like, oh, like this person's name sounds funny. Um, that, that can be problematic for kind of obvious reasons, like people who you think their names are funny probably are from different ethnicities from you and stuff like that. Um, that kind of died for a while. And then some employee brought it up recently and was like, this is bad. 
the DHH, one of the founders, apolog- like wrote in Basecamp. Oh, by the way, there's a point here I wanted to make. Uh, this reminds me. Anyway, wrote a post in Basecamp saying, sorry, this was like, we should have stopped. We should have put an end to this long ago. We didn't. My bad. And, I, and DHH published the post. It looked fine to me. I think it was a good response. Then some employees kept kind of pushing back. And I guess someone posted a graphic that was like, I just want us to understand that small microaggressions or whatever can lead to bigger problems. And the graphic had like the word genocide in it. And DHH then wrote an article, uh, a post in their base camp that was like, this isn't genocide. That's outrageous. That's an overreaction. Anyway, that's what the whole conflict was, is him arguing with a couple people. And it just like escalated wildly. And then they just shut down political discussion. And this all happened like a couple weeks ago. It's not, it's pretty recent. Anyway, something that I think you're going to agree with. So if I can tangent for a second, because I meant to make this point. We've had this once at Less Annoying CRM where a political discussion started feeling sort of contentious. It was the Google memo, if you remember that back in the day. James Damore, or however you pronounce his name, uh, wrote this thing that was controversial. One employee was, I wouldn't say in support of it, but quasi in support. Everyone else was not. It was people were talking about it in Slack, and it started to get a little heated. What we did at the time was not say, let's ban political speech. What we said is, hey, everybody, remember that you like each other. Can you just have this conversation in person, face to face? Because I think you're not going to be as mad at each other when you do that. And that actually just solved it temporarily. I mean, I'm not saying it would solve every problem, but like the same way you get road rage and you get really mad at people when they're abstract concepts of people, you're not face to face. But when you are face to face, there's way less conflict, I think. I wonder if this is like kind of a fundamental challenge of the async first remote culture that a lot of companies, including Basecamp, have uh, created for themselves. What do you think about that? I, I don't disagree. I think like it's so easy, man, when you don't, when you're forced to talk in person and you can't do asynchronous, you have to prepare for the conversation and that forces you to confront things and think before you speak. And yeah, sure. You might have this moment of like awfulness, but then you go away and you come back and there's time between and like the asynchronous communication thing lets people say what's on their mind in real time and trigger bounce, trigger, bounce. It gets, it can get out of whack really, really fast without any time to recover. Uh, and yeah, it creates a huge problem. It's, it's at least in the office, there's this like, Oh, I got to walk to the water cooler, you know? And then there's this serendipitous, I'm going to probably see this person in a meeting. Uh, yeah. and, and and you have this face face when you're fully remote, that may never happen. Well, in every remote conversation involves everybody. Like every single person sees this. So there might be someone who like either wouldn't have heard the conversation or that if they did, they wouldn't have engaged. But now it's like so easy to just throw one little comment in. I think you said earlier, we've got this outrage culture. I I wonder how much of I I was very pro async and I had not thought of any of these problems prior to this. But I I just kind of think it's too easy to like it, uh, it ties back to what I said earlier about my employees getting kind of upset about that survey that we sent out. As soon as I met with them one-on-one and said, hey, here's what we're thinking, you know, what do you think? They were all on board, but they just assumed the worst when they got this email with that, like, it didn't have a human on the other side of it. So, yeah. Yep. So, can I, I want to come back and I, and and so, so I view this as they, they don't like the company as it is currently working and they are the owners of the company. Mm-hmm. And they went back. They didn't go back and say, we want to be something we've never been before. They went back and said, what are the things that are important to us? Distraction-free work, focus on work, separation from work and, um, and, and, and home. And what are the things that are getting in the way of that or, or, or not living up to the principles that we care about? Let's get rid of all that. And so to, I, you know, there's a lot of reasons that you can argue why this is not necessarily a good thing for certain outcomes, but for what they want, it seems like it's very much aligned with the principles that they, you know, want to run a business. And you know, if they, if the, alter- what's the alternative, you know, quit like, well, yeah, no, you, I, I think you, so. I think that not quit, but hire someone that wants to lead because, and they both said they don't like managing people. They just want to do project work. 
I not quit the company, but quit managing if that if you hate doing it. Yeah. But, but what you're saying is like, so that is the choice, right? Like either you make the company when when you're in a situation where I don't like coming to work anymore right now. You yeah. you, you, you you as owners of the company, you make the decision to to change it into something that you like coming to work at, or you have to leave. Or you know, and it seems like they want to be at the company still. So they I think made there's some, a really, making some changes. There's a really important question here that that you're getting at, which is like, if you've got a company with 58 people, only two of whom whom have any ownership, what obligation do you have to the other 56? And I, it sounds like you're saying none. The two owners get to do whatever they want. You're not saying that. I, no, I, I, I'm actually. I, I don't want to interrupt you. No, go, well, I mean, you get where I, what I'm saying. I, 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 they have obligations to the principles in which they stand for, and being consistent. Um, and they, I think that, they've talked before so much about how politics. You know, they've done a ton of political virtue signaling. DHH is super political. I don't per, think personal, this is what they stand for. I, no, I, no, on the company blog, they've yeah, done it. Yeah, this I has think, been company related. Yeah, sure, sure. And I, and I think we need to differentiate between they're saying societal issues that affect the business still game at work, no, things that don't affect the business, take it to the personal accounts. Um, and they still can personally too, individuals. Um, so they're just saying, don't do it at the work time. Don't do it at the workplace. I, I hear what you're saying. That's fine. That, that has not been historically what they have said, I guess. This is a change of their culture. Fine. It, it, that doesn't matter. I, yeah. I get what you're saying, but okay. That, what, what I, what I want to call to attention to is if you go read the, I read the first book they published and I remember it being like the things that blew my mind away was build a comp, own your company and make it what you want. So you like coming to work, focus, create focus for your people. Don't distract them with meetings and stuff that doesn't matter about work. People want to work, let them work. Three. Um, I don't remember a third. Those two are the, like the main things. And Oh, let your people go home. Sep mm -hmm. Don't make them take work home with them. Uh, separate work and personal time. And I mean, it feels like they're going back to the basics here and saying, we want what, what we have always been preaching. And if you signed up, you know, if you join the company for the right reasons, you should be happy about this too. And if you're not, maybe this isn't the right company for you anymore. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're actually saying the same thing. We just have a different read on what reality is for Basecamp. I think we're both saying if you hire people with certain expectations, you have an obligation to honor those expectations, even if it means you as the founder have outgrown the company. Like you may find yourself in a situation where you're like, I've got 50 employees. They want it one way. I want it another. For the last five years, it's, it's, I've gone that direction. I can't just U turn on them here. That's interesting. So yeah, I think I I don't do you think that's what's happening here? Do you think this is yes, a YouTube? 100, okay, okay. 100%. That's interesting. That's I don't think that's what's happening here. And I don't know I guess the 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 what will be interesting is to watch employee satisfaction at Basecamp because if 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 you're right, then there should be a pretty nasty like reverberation that's going to be happening for some time periods here that is going to be very visible. Um and then you know, if I'm right, we should see like happy and you know, maybe a few people leave and then like happy people, happier people at base camp. I, it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens. It, it, the thing is, uh, if, if this were like a debate, you would lose because the happy people aren't going to say anything and the yes. unhappy will. <laughs> um, the, there have already been a number of pretty high profile base camp employees who have gone on Twitter and been like, this is bullshit. This is not what we're about. I can't say obviously out of the 58, that's not the majority. It's like, I've seen five people or something say that. I can't say there aren't another five people that love it because they're not talking, you know. And this is, but this is, and this is the challenge with online conversation, right? Like the the negative is so much louder than the positive, um, yeah, or the but, the satisfied, I should say. Okay, uh, it's interesting. I think we ended up with a weird consensus here, even though like th th there's some disagreement in it. But like the the question, we're kind of running up on time here, so we're probably not going to get into this. But what's on my mind that I would like to discuss again is once a founder or co-founders have brought on employees, set expectations, told them what the company is going to be. Like, what obligation do they have to those employees? And like, at what point does it stop being your company and it's now our company? Oh, 
Oh, gosh. Y- you don't have to answer that. I'm just saying that's what's on my mind here because I care about this too. Like sometimes I'm like, well, what if I want to go fully remote one day? But I've built this culture of people who live in St. Louis and like being in person. Like, don't I owe it to them to keep it in person? You, I think I think it's all about the expectations you said. If you've told them that you're going to not sell the company ever and you're going to always have a job there and like you've set that expectation, then yeah, like you need to do what you said you were going to do. I think, I think that's the right thing to do. But if you're, if, if, if you didn't say that and it's, there was no like come work for life. Do you think there's like an equivalent of kind of common law marriage though, where I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is like, if you live with someone long enough, like legally you're effectively married, even though you never proposed, like if you run a company a certain way for long enough, but you never explicitly said something, I still feel like the founders need to give up. Even if they're not technically giving up ownership, they need to give up some of the power uh, at some point they if, owe it if, to employees. If, if they want to build a company to last, like outlive them, that's probably what ultimately needs to happen. Um, but in this case, maybe like in their heads, I don't, I don't know what's going on in their heads, but like they might have, they, they might see this as saving base camp, you know, from their perspective, from, from some, you know, fr- from, uh, some, some habits and some, uh, situations that they think are to its detriment. Yeah. That's tough because you can always use that excuse to justify any decision. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But these aren't like any guys. Like, it's not like we're talking about some random people who just started their uh, company. These are you know some of the 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 you know models for bootstrapping and building a business that you own to a level that you know previously prior to them wasn't really imaginable. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate talking through this. Um, We'll see if anything else comes of it, but uh, it's definitely, yeah, they they were the original startup to last company. So this matters, I think, for anyone who cares about this type of business model. Do you, I I have one question before we go. I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering, like, do you, um, do you get the, do you feel like this was made rashly by them? This is a rash decision or do you think this was something that, 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 that sort of, they had thought about a lot for a long period of time and, and sort of pulled the trigger on? My my guess again, we're making huge assumptions here. My my guess is a combination of both. I bet there was this low level. Uh, again, they have said publicly things that have made it very clear they don't like managing, and I get the impression that they were like, "There's always this low level annoyance. I don't want to deal with it. I'm sick of all this shit." And then it got ten times worse all of a sudden, which triggered, uh, like, what probably was a rash decision, but that was like based on probably months or years of lower level stress. That's my guess. Yeah. And so I guess I would just close with one of the benefits of bootstrapping a company is that you get to make decisions like this. Um, And so whether you agree with their decision or not, man, aren't you jealous that they could make it? Like if you are a venture back company, like, or or you're, you're not at, I mean, this is, I mean, Coinbase did this though. I don't know. I didn't, I don't know the story. They almost the exact same thing. They uh, they just IPO'd and like six months ago or something like that. They made this policy: you can't talk about politics at work. A bunch of people quit. Huge scandal. It didn't end up affecting the business at all. Yeah. Um, they I mean, they IPO'd for a huge value. If you are someone who like is likes having political discussions but wants to get work done too, there, there are some people who are going to like this article. Like, there was like such this an change. interesting point that I read, though. Which one? The problem wasn't that work wasn't getting done. Work was getting done. The problem was that more work was being created for the two co-founders. That's what this was in reaction to, according to this theory that sounds plausible to me. Which means, uh, yeah, that's it's the same thing. It's like but the employees were perfectly productive. It's that the founders were sick of dealing with it. <laughs> anyway, we, we don't that's, need to. That's, that's that's I mean, that's I mean, that's work. They were unhappy, more so than that the company was unproductive. Uh, If the leaders are unproductive, eventually the company becomes unproductive. Do you not agree with that statement? I think they should step down. Not not because this scandal is so big. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they don't want the job of running a 58-person company, so don't run a 58-person company. That's how I feel. It sounds like they don't want the job of running a 58-person company the way Tyler would, wants to run it. No, the way company. they set it up. They they created all of this, right? They want to be king without governing. They, they want all the power and none of the responsibility. They created this situation. And you'll, you'll say, okay, well, they, they're dealing with it. They've yeah, made they these are. Policies. They're, they're dealing yeah, with we'll, it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes for them. <laughs>
Anyway, do you, what do you predict? I want a prediction before you leave. Like, uh, what do you think is going to happen? What's the fallout? I think five to ten prominent employees quit in a very ugly way. Um, I think Basecamp has a bad product. I hate their products. Um, they haven't done much to make a splash since 2004. Like, I mean, maybe Hay is a success. You can argue that. But like, I think they're just con- going to continue coasting on the success of being the first SaaS company, basically. And it won't affect anything. But they're also irrelevant to me. They've been irrelevant to me for five years. Oh, so this is sort of like, this is nothing new for you. You're like, these guys are just in their own little world. They're really good at marketing by creating outrage. That's what's so funny about this is their whole marketing strategy. They've really, literally written a book about how to use outrage to do marketing. So I, it's just turned on them, but I don't think it'll affect anything long term. I don't know. Um, and do you think this is wrong? Like, do you think like this is like yes. morally wrong? Uh, I, I want to be, I don't think the specific decisions are morally wrong. I think... I thought about this more or since it started. I think that founders, even if they retain 100% control, have an obligation to serve their employees in a way that these people are not serving their employees here. Hmm. I don't know. You, you seem to not feel that way. I mean, I think, I, I think the employee to, founder-to-employee relationship is a custom contract between each founder and employee, set primarily by the founder. And... Uh, yeah, they, they would not be. They are not fulfilling the less annoying CRM founder employee relationship. That is for sure. Yeah, I, I, I guess but we, I don't. We all define our own morals, right? So, yeah. like, I, I think this is bullshit, and they don't. So, I mean, legally, they can. <laughs> there's they, no they doubt th- that legally they can. It's do funny. This. They think the opposite's <laughs> bullshit. Like, they, like it's it's interesting. It's like what they're saying is bullshit. Are the things that you say not doing are bullshit? So it's just like fundamental. Like it feels like fundamental differences. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I would. I mean, I I love no more three sixty reviews. Like I love that. Me idea. too. I we we don't do three sixty <laughs> reviews. Um, it's I've never done one before. It sounds stressful as hell. I don't. And and I love no pr- more paternalistic benefits. Yeah, me I mean, too. that's that's like a benefits. To, I <laughs> that's, mean, that's the one thing everyone was dunking on that on Twitter. Like I can't believe they took benefits away. And I was like, I'm I'm going to stay out of this one because I actually agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I I'm glad we talked about it. It feels like one of those things there where it's like there's never an, there's never a conclusion to that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Anything else? Nope. Sign us off. All right. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.